Hey, 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 this is The Rest with Joel Kovacs. The rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and hopefully, with a little bit of love, the rest for your souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and these are your thoughts and interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. Hey, thanks for checking this out today. This is episode eight of The Rest and uh, continuing into a series on leadership from uh, all different types of people from the community. We've had uh, a great run. We had Roy Hall from uh, Ohio State, and then we had David Holliday former CEO and president of Cover My Meds last week. And today, um, along with uh, my opening rant and footnotes, we have special guest Brad Smith, who's here today. Hey, Brad, how you doing? What's up, Joel? Thanks for having me, man. Yep. Brad is the um, men's assistant golf coach at Ohio State. And uh, he, uh, he has a lot to share about leadership and stuff that he's learned. And also, he is the husband of of Carmen Smith, who is our service programming director, who she was on the podcast several weeks ago talking about worship. So Brad is here to talk about leadership and he's going to join me for the rest of it. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Got home late last night from the tournament, but uh, glad to be on here. So Brad is uh, in season as the coach. We are. Yep. We were down uh, outside Hilton Head, so got... One uh, one positive about being in golf is this time of year you get you get out of the cold for a while. Yes, so you um, escape. I'm fortunate. So it doesn't always make my wife the happiest, <laughs> right. but uh, yep. So we were down and, and leave again on Friday. So it's kind of peak season for us. But but uh, you you had a, a player. You have a sophomore on the team that is excelling, or a couple. Yeah, yeah. We've had uh, two different guys win our first two events individually this spring. And um, our guy yesterday, he was nine under through 15 holes. Wow. Shot 65 in the final round and tied the uh, all time tournament scoring record for Ohio State. So, got some young guys doing some good things. It's it's exciting. For the rest of us, I mean, 65, (laughs) I mean, never. That's never going to happen. Probably not even on nine holes for me. Sorry, that's the bad joke. <laughs> but I mean, wow. Oh, he's he's pretty good. So we're we're excited. Got a good squad this year. So looking forward to the. Does rest he of the uh, does he drive it far or does is his short? Where's his heightened skill? I, I mean, to be at that level, you got to do it, it all. Um, but he's he's a very cool customer, so doesn't doesn't get flustered easily. Um, you know, he was nine under, like I said, through fifteen and. Just looked like he was out playing another round of golf. Jeez. Well, that's crazy. Well, we're going to have Brad here with us, and then we're going to dive into some some thoughts and continue discussion on leadership here a little bit later. Um, but uh, like I said, we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about uh, a little bit of um, uh, some current events, and we're also going to dive in a little bit more to um, footnotes and the rest of my message. I'm doing a series on generosity right now, but we'll get started right now with the opening rant. Okay, so Brad, I I told you about this. Um, you were at a golf tournament or you were practicing and getting ready or something. You were gone this weekend. Yep. But this weekend um, was the, if you didn't catch this, it's one of those weekends where everybody has had so much going on and there's been football and then there's been uh, like the Super Bowl and then 
whatever, you know, weekends are kind of filled with like everything else. And then finally football goes away and people stop watching TV on Saturday night, like a little bit, you know what I mean? But then basketball is starting to heat up. Yep. Like yep. college basketball. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like when college basketball starts to heat up, it's like, it's like, uh, a safe haven for my soul because I love it, but it gives me that sport craving thing that uh, I miss from football. Yeah. I mean, opening week of March madness, one it's of the amazing. best weeks of the year. And then when the Buckeyes are good, even like if they're even better, if, yeah, if they're like flirting in the top 25, which they've been all year. Um, and, and you start to love that team. It's fun, right? You get to watch them. So you start to watch these teams play. And, and so this weekend, um, the big push was the Duke game, the the North Carolina Duke game, which is kind of an annual thing. A couple of years ago, my family usually sits around and watches that game. Yep, yep. Uh, remember, like there was a buzzer beater a couple of years ago. They're always they're good, always amazing. Like. So you know, Duke's ranked, North Carolina's not. But the big thing was it's uh, Mike Shashevsky, Coach K's last game at home, his last home game, and so it's very dramatic. There was all kinds of fanfare and pregame stuff uh, at, at the game. Uh, all of his former players were there, you know, basically. Yep. And uh, tons of celebrities. Jerry Seinfeld, uh, the uh, the uh, the president. What do they call the guy that's in charge of the NBA? The um, commissioner, the commissioner. The commissioner, which is his name is Adam Silver. Adam Silver. He's sitting there. You know, Jerry Seinfeld's there. All kinds of celebrities are there for this this game. Uh, Kyler Murray was there. You know, I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, he went to Oklahoma. I don't know. But, I mean, because it's Mike Krzyzewski is why, you know, why he's there. But, so, of course, Duke's not, you know, they're, they're one of the greatest programs of all time. And uh, you just start to hear what, what's going on, and they tell the backstory. And I remember reading about Mike Krzyzewski a couple of years ago, just trying to know a little bit more about him. You know, he had time at Army, and then he gets hired in 1980. So just kind of funny. In 1980, he gets hired to be the, the head coach of Duke. That's amazing. Uh, so I'm, I was born in 1980. So it's just going to be one of those moments where I'm like, his whole 42-year-long career is my life. And he did all that at Duke. So he's like born in 1937. So it's just amazing that he had all that life. And then he started this next season of his life. And now he's closing that chapter, 42 years, five national championships, whatever amount of, you know, final four appearances, uh, gold medals from coaching the, the Olympic team, the, the number of players and the number of people that he's impacted. It's, it's just like, it's overwhelming when you, when the production that they do on these things starts to focus on that, you're just like, wow. So this guy, he's one of the best in the world. He's probably, I mean, behind John Wooden, yep. you can make the argument UCLA. that he's the next Best. most influential college basketball yeah. coach of all time. Yep. I mean, certainly in the top five, but maybe even second behind Coach Wooden. Yeah, and you know, like, when you think about college basketball coaches, a lot of the best coaches, there tends to be some, like, dirt, you know? Like, I think of Bobby Knight and Chuck in a chair, and uh, I don't know. I, I hate to thra throw people's names, but there's all kinds of speculation around these guys at these top one-and-done teams. You know, I think... Uh, Petrino, kind of the stuff that happened with him. Calipari. Calipari gets, he's had all kinds of trouble, I think, without getting into, I don't want to disparage <laughs> someone, but it feels like 
Coach K really, my impression before watching what happened on Saturday night was Coach K, like, he's pretty above board. Like, this guy seems to have pretty strong character, and he seems to kind of, I don't know. I mean, the assumption is, do you ever see the movie Blue Chips? I have not. With Nick Nolte, and he was this coach of this team, and Shaq played for the team, and so did uh, Penny Hardaway, I think. But basically, it it shows you that these guys get paid to go to certain schools. And of course now with, you know, uh, name and likeness and all this stuff, it's almost like people are admitting that they did this and it's fine that they did it. Now they're allowed to do versions of it. I was at a steakhouse last week in the middle of the day. And there was a, a one of the Buckeye players that, you know, and I know <laughs> one of the top running backs sitting at the back with four guys in suits. I'm like, well, here we go. It's a Pandora's box yeah. for another day. <laughs> right, another day. I know we don't need to get into all of it, but I'm just like, okay, basically, and, and you know, I like to romanticize things anyway. It's kind of the way I'm like, I want to believe, I believe that Mike Krzyzewski, mainly really good dude. Yep. No one's perfect. I kind of view him like Jim Tressel. I would agree. And, right? And so, you know, you rub shoulders with some of these Division One coaches at Ohio State. I think you've probably had multiple experience. So it's, they're not all the same. They're not. We know this, right? Yeah, they're oh, not. for sure. So, and you know, Division One coaches between the, your, you coach with a guy named Jay, who's the head coach of golf. Yep, Jay Mosley. And then, I mean, you know, you guys are with Oklahoma State and Auburn and all the time. So, of course, it, it's easy to put people in categories and say all head coaches at Division One level are – trashy guys that break the rules and basically want to win at all costs. But that's not the case. It's not the majority, yeah. no. And that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you really do believe that Krzyzewski is one of those guys. And then, of course, the game happens. And Duke was up by like 14 in the second half. And North Carolina comes back. And then it just starts to happen in the last four minutes where there's like a 10-point spread and North Carolina's up. And you're thinking, no way. No way, like... At Cameron Stadium with all these fans, all these former players, all of the staff from Duke, all of these colleagues that he's had throughout the years, all of these that they're going to lose this game. And I was having this experience where I'm like, I kind of hope that like the North Carolina coach, which is like his first year coaching. Yeah, he's he's new. He's a new guy. Uh, what was the guy's name? Roy. The, Roy Williams. Yeah. So I don't think he was there, which makes sense. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but the you know, I, it's like, is he going to pull off the dogs? I don't know. Like, there's a part of me like tip, but they're not right. So they no just. Chance. Oh my gosh, dude! They're just going for blood, and uh, and. So they end up losing the game. Which is shocking. Shocking. I would have thought no chance Duke loses no, that game. No chance. I mean, they were up. They are better. Their wins are better. I mean, they're they're just a better team. And I don't know, the emotion, everyone you can say all kinds of stuff. It got to them too much. You know, Krzyzewski all week long was being asked if if they were distracted and he kept saying like all we're talking about is the game which is of course what you should do and of course probably what you should say but there's just no way that with the type of energy and fanfare and and uh all this the pre-game ceremonious things that were happening there's no way that that those kids weren't at least somewhat distracted and it's almost like the it's like this is the one thing you can't do it's too much pressure we cannot lose for coach k at his last home game at the end of a 42 year arguably greatest career of all time too much pressure for a bunch of 18 year old kids it's it's a lot it's i don't know how you prepare for that yeah and uh uh your your arch rival 
Right. So, I mean, come on, like what a challenge. Well, they, 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 they messed it up. They screwed up. So what was interesting, if you didn't see it, you could go back and watch it or whoever go watch it if you didn't see this. So they leave and then there's this 45 minute, um, there's a 45 minute ceremony planned for after the game. And of course this would have been a lot better after a win, after a win. So, you know, it's kind of quiet and they go into the locker room and then, they come out five minutes later, the coach has done his post game, whatever rip. And the, the players walk out, dude. And they are like, half of them are crying. They feel so bad. And then they've got on the, on the floor, right in the middle of the floor, they've got like six or seven chairs. The president of the school is there. The athletic director's there. Um, there's some other people from the community there. He's sitting there. His wife is sitting there. Krzyzewski. And in the very center of the court, there's a microphone. And basically, there's this production that's about to take place, which starts with a video that is going to be played for people at home, you know, full screen. Mm-hmm. And the people in the stadium are going to watch it up on the, on the Jumbotron. Well, Shashevsky stands up right at the beginning of this thing and goes over to the microphone. And he goes, this isn't part of the program. This is impromptu. And he goes... He go. Everyone started clapping. Yeah, like you know, we love you. Like you can do whatever you want. We, you know, you're talking. And he literally, I mean, Brad, he was not joking. He was not taking it. He goes, no, 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 uh, uh-uh. uh, stop it, no. I I saw this. Clip. Do you see that? And I did. he he had everyone. The whole room went silent. And he he goes, you know what just happened? Not acceptable. Right. And then he said, but the season was acceptable and it's not over. And then he goes and sits down. I mean, he just like, he was so mad they lost, but for the right reasons. Right. I really think he was upset because of the way they played basketball. Not for him. I think he can understand, you know, but he needed to address the basketball moment. Yeah. It was pretty powerful. No, I think it's interesting. I mean, you think of him as a coach and this iconic figure in coaching and what what makes him that mm-hmm. and it's not just basketball right I mean, sure he's got the national championships but if you look at the admiration that all his former players have for him it's it, it goes so much more so beyond much more. the sport in the game it's it's how he cared for them and, and yes. um, how he prepared them to be husbands and fathers yes. and, and businessmen and, and professional basketball players. Yes, if, yeah. That's certainly a piece of it. Mm-hmm. But I think of uh, there's a saying that, that we talk about with our team that, you know, people won't always remember the things you do. Yeah. They won't always remember, remember the things you say, but they'll always remember how you make them yeah, feel. Right, yeah. And even that moment yeah. that you just alluded to in that press conference. Yeah. Everybody in that stadium and even watching, like I watch it on TikTok. I, yeah. I saw ESPN replay it on yes. TikTok. It made you feel something. Yes. And I think that's what Coach K has mm-hmm. that throughout his career, he's he's embodied and, and, and shown a, a love and a care for his players yes. and, and everyone around that program that is sometimes transcendent in sport when it it's so much is focused on winning yeah. that he goes way beyond that. One of the, one of the things that he said which to jump right to that, because I think what he did next personifies exactly what you're saying. Um, he said, uh, 
this was a quote, Coach K says psychology is the most important aspect of his success. He thinks most people spend uh, a disproportionate amount of time on X's and O's. Uh, And then this is a quote from him. There has been an excessive amount of time uh, just being spent with people. He said, these are the people who make the X's and O's work. Yep. And so, like, I think that one of the things about leadership that is so hard and, and it is, is actually being present, like sitting with people, caring about their lives, asking them what's going on with them, and even the kids you're leading. You can imagine a coach who, you know, even if, like, you're, he's a new coach, 1983, and, which I don't know, did he have a championship by 1983? Maybe. I, I don't think it was quite that early. But... If you're a student and then you have a coach who's an authority figure, even just being the Duke coach and having a, a man like that sit with you and show you genuine interest in your life and say that I want to help you with so much more. And I mean, you, you know, I'm sure basketball is a tool. Basketball is a yeah, great yeah. classroom for life, right? What it teaches you about all kinds of things because it's one thing to lose a game. It's another thing to lose in life. And if you can learn the lesson in the game and not in life, then that's a win. Yep. So I think that th- that that kind of is a little bit of what came through. But the coolest moment for me, which was similar to what you're saying, which I think is like really powerful, is it, it struck me. So my wife was at a basketball tournament in Cleveland with my older son. And I was at home with the two little ones and they were running around and I was watching this moment <laughs> and I, dude, I'm like, I cry at like, I'm a crier. So like this moment happens, he brings out his entire family on the court, his wife, he has three daughters, 10 grandchildren and their spouses and the, the wife, the, the daughter, his daughter's spouses. And he's just talking to his family. So he's like talking to his family. And he says this moment, he said, never once did I ever hear from any one of you dad, you love basketball more than me. And I was just like, and he said, because, because I don't. And I was like, that's powerful. Whoa. And all of them were like, yeah. So, you know, you don't say something like that in front of all those people, unless it's actually true. Right. And because all their faces communicated that he was telling the truth immediately when he said it, and he wasn't saying it to prove to everyone how great of a dad he was, he wanted to make sure that people understood where his value system was and what his, you know, I want you to know guys that everything you're celebrating here means nothing compared to this right here. And probably that some way, shape or form is a secret to success. Yep. Like, here's how we, here's how I did this. And it's, it's all, um, it's being authentic. Yeah. You know, you, the only way you get that at that point in his life is that you've lived that. Yeah. And especially when there's not cameras on you. Yeah. Like all we see is the game. Yep. We don't see what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah. 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 Behind closed yeah, doors. Yeah. And I mean, he could be a, a terrible first yeah. person, you know, just all about basketball, totally putting his, his, uh, his family off. But yep. it's clear with that moment right. that, that he lived the right way yeah. and, and his whole family knew, knew that. Yeah. It was kind of interesting too, because then he made this follow-up comment that was like, so he says, never once has my family said to me, you love basketball more than me because I don't. And then they all kind of affirm it. And, and then he said, but 
my family all really loves basketball, <laughs> which, which is just kind of one of those things I think that, you know, for me, the, the process of being open-handed and making sure your, your priorities are in the right spot. Like as soon as you clench onto something, that's what people want to take away from you. But I feel like he had the appropriate view of basketball and he made his family a priority. And then in turn, and I'm not, this shouldn't be why you do this, but I do think the results are, they're like, they care about what you care about. Right. It's like, I care about them and what they care about. And therefore that's the way it should work. They care about me and what I care about. And instead of you should care about what I care about, it's I care about you and that's, that's it. And, and you don't, I'm not going to bring what I do for a living and make it matter to you. You matter to me. And then they learned, well, then you matter to me. I just think that it happens organically. It happens naturally. I, I think that, that that was so powerful. And it's one of those things where sports and the nature of sports and because of the money and because of what's happened with sports over the past 25 years, the contracts. I mean, we're sitting on this, you know, Aaron Rodgers, $200 million. And I mean, all these things are just constantly happening with, with all that. It can make it feel like, oh boy, this is, this is just another, another uh, arena for uh, greed and selfishness. I think that when someone sees someone in that level, it is have that type of humility and have that type of focus. You're talking about a model that everybody needs to see. Yeah. Because the character, right, like the the fortitude to stay focused on what is most important when you have everything there, right? You have something thrown. I mean, he's the best in the world. Yeah. I mean, he could have justified doing anything he wanted because of his success on the, I don't know, I just, it just kind of blew my mind. Well, and I mean, the nature of the business of collegiate and professional sports is that you got to win. Yeah. So there's a ton of pressure, yeah. especially in football and basketball is so much more heightened than like even my sport, but there's a pressure to win. And so it's so easy to get wrapped up and caught up in that and how, you know, how do you stay grounded yeah. and, and true to who you are and, and put the right things first? Yeah. When there's, there's a lot of pressure in that. You go, arena. Hey, what, what should be the most pressuring thing, right? Like, do you win at all costs? He said, no, I mean, I love my family. I'm going to do this. And if this works, then it's good. I'm sure there's plenty of coaches that love their family and they're great, but they suck at coaching or they're not good enough to produce the wins that the pressure from the, from the school puts on them. Then they have a choice to make. Am I going to sell my soul to the school and do everything? Or am I going to abandon this? I'm sure plenty. I mean, guys get fired. It's It's it's, a choice you have to make every day. It it is a pressure cooker. Yeah. There's, there's no question. I cannot imagine that type of pressure. I mean, I I can imagine in the sense that like, you know, nobody, nobody's bothering you if things are successful. Right. So it's like, yeah, that's great that you love your family. Like you can't go and say, but my family loves me. (laughs) So (laughs) um, yeah, but you're losing. We want to win. So it is kind of interesting. I mean, but it's beautiful when I think that the only way it can shape up after 42 years is a genuine, uh, appropriate hierarchy of values. And it's like, I do love my family first. And then what came from that is really, that's kind of what drove the value system that he had for his players. Like this is the way I do life and this is what works and this is a winning way to live, which I just think Pete, we need more of that. Oh, for sure. And it's why the players came back. Yeah. And some of them have been his assistant coaches and it's yep. Duke basketball is this family and yep. brand. It is. It's, um, kind it is of tra- family. Transcendent. It is. 
um, which is, yeah, it, it's, it's really, really cool. So to that, I want to go a little bit into, um, the part where I piggyback a little bit or do some more when it ties into to what we're just discussing on footnotes. And this is, this is a part where I talk a little bit more about the message from this Sunday. And, uh, so this is footnotes. So I just alluded to, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers signing for $200 million, which is crazy. 156 million guaranteed, just the kind of money in these billion dollar sporting world. It's wild. College golf coaches aren't making quite that (laughs) these days. (laughs) Yeah. How do you handle that kind type of uh, money? Because what I talked about this Sunday at church was how money is a God that wants to destroy your life. Um, and it's an interesting way to think about it. You know, um, we don't, we don't necessarily think about it that way. We think it's like this great, wonderful thing and we want more of it as opposed to understanding that it has a real power to lead us down uh, the, the false road. Like it's like a good thing, terrible God, you know, it's like you love your kid, but if your kid becomes in charge, then chaos is going to happen. It's like, oh, yeah. we love, we can, we can have money, but if we let money rule, it's only going to destroy our lives. Um, I, 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 as I just wanted to kind of hit on that because if you listen to the message, I kind of break down the theology that money has always been a God, a false God that God warns people not to order their life around in the pursuit of and to have an appropriate relationship with money and how basically I went through like six passages of scripture that show if money is your God, here's what it will do to you. It will destroy your life. It will, it will hurt the people around you. It will, um, uh, cause you emotional grief. Uh, it will cause you, uh, it will, it will kind of leave you empty wanting more. So just like constant thing, but I don't know, like uh, I wanted to just camp a little bit more in money being a God. Yeah. Have you ever thought about it that way? Um, Oh, for sure. Um, I heard a a fellow coach at Ohio state of a different sport was doing a presentation, um, a few weeks ago and he talked about how your heart or excuse me, your head is always going to follow where your heart is. Mm. Yeah. And so I think it goes back to a heart issue Mm -hmm. of like, what's most important? What do you care about? And then when that's in the right place, those decisions mm-hmm. around money and yeah. what you're doing become so much more clear and easier to make. Yes. But if your heart is is selfish mm-hmm. and, and self-serving, you know, money and everything that stems from that is yep. going to go a totally yep. different direction and, and can be consuming and controlling. Yeah. That's interesting. Your head is always going to follow where your heart is. It, it's similar to the where your treasure is, is where your heart will be or where your heart is, is where your treasure is. Yep but where your, your head. So basically what you actually treasure is going to determine your thoughts. It's going to determine the direction of your life. Yeah. It's, you may try to, to, to distinguish the two, but ultimately it's like, what's most important to you, what you have in your heart. Yeah. You're going to make your decisions with your head based off, based off that. It's, we, we don't always follow the logical yeah, right. decision. No. Yeah, the emotional. A lot of it comes from like w- w- what we value, yeah. what makes us feel something. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that 
it's interesting to think about money being a God in the sense that none, no one would ever say like, it's my God, but a lot of people spend their entire lives pursuing it and it's, it's kind of frivolous pleasures and they think that they're in control of their lives. Yeah. And the, and the whole time they're, you know, it's like the, uh, have you ever heard the analogy of the, uh, the frozen knife with the wolf. You ever heard this one? Uh uh-uh. So it's like this idea that, you know, you have this razor sharp knife and you dip it in blood and then you freeze it. And if you put it in front of a wolf, then they're going to lick it and they, they like the taste of blood. But then eventually the blood goes away and it thaws and the razor reveals, but, and it cuts its tongue and its tongue goes numb but it's bleeding, so it's tasting blood, but it can't feel it, and then eventually it just dies. And, I, you know, to me, I'm just like, I struggle. I'm like, I, I feel like I need like a, like a constant radical reminder that something as, it's almost like cryptic, no pun intended. It's <laughs> like, it, it's designed to like pull us away without us even knowing. Yep. And so, I don't know, my heart for the, this series is like, wake up, like we could be serving the God of money. Yeah. And I mean, like if you live in a affluent community, like we do, I mean, a lot of us are, I don't know. Well, it's so, it's so easy to, um, which it's not totally a bad thing, but to strive and yeah. to go after right. achieving and, and making more and more money. Mm-hmm. And I heard a, I heard a quote from Jim Carrey um, that he had said a while ago, but I, I heard it recently. And the Jim Carrey? The Jim Carrey. Okay. Okay. This is, <laughs> I, he's a brilliant human. Yeah. So, so it was something along the lines of, I hope everybody reaches the goal of becoming rich and famous only to realize that being rich and famous isn't the goal. Yeah. Hmm. And I feel like there's, you know, with social media and there's so much like into like notoriety mm-hmm. and, and influencing, yes. influencing and wanting more, more, more that we just kind of get on that road and we're moving, we're moving and we lose sight of the why and the intent behind that. And then Jim Carrey is basically saying, like, I did that and I made it. And, and I, I was empty that, that that wasn't, that wasn't the objective. Yeah. I, I, like you said, I was, yeah. I was empty. Yeah. I, so I, I said this analogy and then I shared it last week and I'll share it again. If someone's listening to this, one of the things that I said at the beginning of the first week is to have, to do a heart inspection. You might've heard that message. I think I did. The yeah. The heart inspection, like a home inspection where instead of, you know, wanting everything to be okay, you actually want to find the problem and to see if you're worshiping money. And I just think like, we have to like, like we have to be concerned that we're licking the frozen bloody knife, like that we're doing that. Otherwise it tastes too good and we're not going to stop. Um, and it just feels like it's giving us life and it just constantly leads to more meaningless. And so you get into this question of, the meaning and the purpose of life. Like what is the purpose of life? Right. Which is like the massive, what is the whole thing? And actually that's kind of where I'm going this Sunday is how do we experience the greatest meaning in our life? And obviously, you know, the first part is, is that you've declared that you have a different King and you're going to follow him. Well, what does that look like? 
what do we look at Jesus's life mostly and go, this is, this must be the meaning of life. If, if, if he exemplified this, logically you would have to say whatever he did and whatever he's telling us to do is in fact the key to the meaning of life. And so I'm going to go that road and it has to do with such an opposite has to do with suffering. It has to do with advancing the people around you. Mm -hmm. It has to do with, but getting to that space, man, I don't know, man, I'm being aware of it, being aware of it. Like, I'm being dragged away by something that is not good for me. And I have been in that space, my life so many times. And just to know, yeah, you know, I shared, like I shared uh, on Sunday, I shared that like, uh, it what's crazy is if you, so you can do a home inspection, kind of like, where are things now? But oftentimes what that will do with your heart and your home, whatever is go, what, where was this 10 years ago? And sometimes a problem that you find in, in the home, it's because something that happened 10 years ago didn't, didn't go well. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the foundation, there. this didn't happen, whatever, right? Like you have a problem in your attic or you have a problem with your driveway or you have a whatever. And you're like, oh, well that's because they, these morons didn't lay this part right or whatever. They're the moron all the time. It's always whoever else that was there before you. But like, um, you know, I, knowing that something happened before I've, I told the church, I said, I look back on some of the decisions that I made purchasing decisions, the way I viewed money. And I'm like, I was not motivated from the place of Jesus is King. And I'm really, and not even Jesus is King. Cause it's easy to say, well, Jesus is King, but mm. money is my, is money. My God. Right. That's the thing about it. So the whole, I talked about this weekend, I talked about how there was, and I need to make a, I have to make a disclaimer because this weekend I told a story, Brad, of seeing a pipe in my basement um, uh, unbroken, uh, basically the, 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 it was unsleeved and it was across the top. I, I showed a picture of it and I, and then I went up to Katie and I'm like, have you ever seen this broken pipe in the basement? She's like, Oh, that's been like that for five years. <laughs> Come to find out that it is the exhaust pipe from my water heater not my furnace. So I said furnace this Sunday and I forgot what furnace carbon monoxide would have been very bad, very, very bad. So very, very low amounts of carbon monoxide from my water heater. Okay. Not the kind that comes from the furnace. Cause I'm pretty sure if it was from the furnace, I wouldn't be here right now. Not good. Yeah. So, so I, I I said the wrong thing, but I mean, you know, it's still, still the same idea that there's this toxic, gas, you don't know it's there. Right. And it's killing you. I think that's the the burden that I have for this is like, let's really inspect to make sure that money is not our God and killing us. Because I, I think in the world that we live in today, it might be the most powerful one. I mean, yeah. it's all the same money, sex and power and some combination of those things. And the one that seems to at least be in the world that I'm around is that one, right? Yeah, we we stayed with a family at our most recent tournament, mm-hmm. and I was having a conversation with the the guy we were staying with, and he used the phrase that the devil is the master bender, mm. and what he meant by that is, you know, imagine you're going down a straight road. Well, 
what the devil's going to try to get you to do is just bend a little mm-hmm. bit off that path. Yeah. And so if, if you only bend a little bit and you, and then you keep going, you're going to end up relatively close. But, f- but the problem is, is then you're going to bend a little bit again and a little bit yeah. again. And it's not some extreme happening all mm-hmm. at once, but before you know it, you've bent just a little bit over and over again. And yeah. Now you're going the totally wrong direction. Totally. That I, will, I mean, that is absolutely, I think what it is, just a little bit of deceit, just a little bit of here. It's not that bad. Yep. It's okay. It's this, it's, it's go that. And the money does that because I mean, I'm like, you know, cause you have to have money. Yeah. Like you got to buy food, you got to buy food, you gotta have a house. I mean, there's, and I, I got it, into it's, that. It's necessary it in is. our lives in so many capacities. It's a good tool. It's the relationship with yeah, that. And a terrible God, it will ruin your life if you serve it. If you don't handle it, it'll handle you. And, and, and all that, um, I I have to tell an off color, funny story based on what you just said. So, uh, um, when I was in seminary, I had a professor, he was really getting into the devil, like talking about the, the devil. And he was talking about like what the devil does and how he was like, so he goes, he's up in front of the whole class. This is like a 500, uh, freshman kids girls and boys learning about the Bible for the first time. And he's like, the, the devil is a, is a tempter. He's a deceiver. He, he will lure you in. He will bait you in. He's a master baiter. <laughs> Dude, I mean, <laughs> did the crowd. Oh, so here's the thing. It's funny about it. He, he screams, the devil is a masturbator. And you know, you're in this, like, I was in this Bible college and it's like this, uh, it's like, you know, this kind of self-righteous bubble thing where everybody acts like they don't think normal thoughts. Cause if they do, then they're, you're bad. You're a bad person. Yeah. I come from a public school and six brothers and two sisters. So he yells that says that I don't even think he caught himself like saying that he just kind of kept going, but I laughed. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you just called the devil a masturbator. I don't think I said that like that loud, but I laughed. And everyone was like looking around me, judging me. I'm like, are you serious? He said it. They were like, laughing on the inside. They were laughing on the inside. Come on, man. I mean, that is like, that's when you, you make a mental note not to go down that road before or again. But Especially uh, as a pastor. Especially as a pastor. The devil is a masturbator. It's like you'd have half the people going, that's right, he is, he's a sinner. I mean, whatever. It's just such a <laughs> funny thing to accidentally say. But no, it, it's true, man. Like I, So that's my burden for, for leaving scarcity is we've been tricked and deceived into a life of get what's, get what's mine, make myself feel good, do what I want to do. And, and at the expense of others, there's not enough. There's not, God hasn't provided for me. So I got to figure it out for myself, all those types of things. And it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I talked about this, like there's basically one of the things from footnotes that I won't get into, which I kind of alluded to. in one of the parts this, this Sunday is I was like the human eye. I recently like read this study of the human eye, basically like the human eye has like this very small, basically piece of it that can be in focus. So it's the part we use to identify people's faces, but it also takes the body a tremendous amount in, in the eye and, and just our, our, it, it depletes our resources. The eye does. It, it's, it, it costs a lot. It's expensive. 
So basically, in order to preserve resources and to to focus, to be able to know where you're going and where you're not going, the eye focuses on one thing and then it, it leaves everything else out. So then the mind kind of decides what life is all about based upon what it sees. But since it's only looking at a certain area, it doesn't know what else is out there. So it basically communicates to us, this is what life is all about. This is reality, what you look at. So Jesus actually says the eye is the lamp of the body. What he's saying is wherever you point the flashlight is where you're going to go. Right. So whatever. So he knows this. Amazing, right? Like, so now we know they've cut eyes up, and they know the the like phobe, like the things inside there that actually focus, and that we see peripheral. But one of the studies that they did is that the monkey test, where this guy did this this scientific study with three teams, uh, so six people throwing a ball back and forth, and so for two minutes, people are watching this these six people throw a ball back and forth on a on a screen and then uh and then after it's over every person is asked what did you see and they all answer well i saw you know the white team throw to the black team and we saw this happen this and then like the fourth question down is did you see the gorilla and more than 50% of people say no i didn't see a gorilla and then they when they said no they went back and Sure enough, right in the middle. Have you ever seen this video? Uh-uh. It's been on. It's been viral before in the past on social media, where uh, a, a gorilla, like a dude dressed as a gorilla in like a basketball suit or something like that, walks right into the middle of the video, and they didn't see. And it. more than fifty percent of people did not see it because your mind it tells you what you want to see depending on what you're looking for. So. For a lot of people, we need to be told there's more. You might think you don't have something, but what are you focused on? Right. What if you were folk? What if there is a lot more? What if, what if life is not as bad? Now it's suffering and it's tragic and there's difficulty, but what if part of the problem is our inability to actually see. So that's why I got into this whole look at the birds. Yeah. Like if you focus on the birds and that's what she's going, look at the bird, look at the lilies. Look, look, if you focus on how I've provided for them, start to look at different parts of your life. Cause you can look at like your bank account may be empty, but if that's all you're focusing on, your brain fills in all the rest. Life sucks. But if I take my focus and I go, okay, look at my children. Look at my, you know, spouse, look at my job, look at my friendships, look at my, my overall health. Like you start to see, like there might be actually some truth to the fact that there is enough and that our, our focus. So to me, money is one of those things. It's like, we need shocked yeah, to look at something else. Uh, another one of the studies was, it's just so funny. Your brain basically only cares about yourself unless you tell it to care about something else. So one of the other studies was a uh, a person at a counter, like a gas station. And what they would do is the person would come in and order something and then they would dip down below the counter to get it. And then a different person would come up and 75% of people didn't notice the difference because they did, we don't care. We only care about what we think matters and we only focus on what we think is important. And until someone tells us, you know that you're blind to the truth. 
Yeah. Because you're only seeing what you want to see or what you're focusing on. And so to me, that's a little bit of what I'm trying to do with this series is like, there is enough. You can't, you should worship the king. That's the thing about, about the, the Adam and Eve and the apple. I mean, they're in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they could ever want. Well, what that, that human eye is focused on the one little deceitful thing that they actually believe is true. There's not enough because, and then they don't see. It's like, just think about it for one second, like your kid, right? Like you, 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 you know, you know, you have kids. You're like, they think that that one thing is, I, none of my friends love me or none of my, I don't have anything. I don't have any toys. I never get anything, right? It's yeah. like, you're focused on that. Look over there. Like, look around. It's everywhere. You have toys around the house. Like, remember when we just took you to buy that? I don't know. You, you but it's know. there. I mean, that that was the perception of reality that it they is. had. It is. It wasn't that they wanted to sin. Yeah. That this that was a perception of reality that they had formed. Yes. And I think that's what we all do. Yes. We don't see reality we see it through a lens and a perspective unique to each one of us yes now that may be a slight variation yeah. of reality or it may be a, a big variation of reality right but we have to find the awareness yes. and be able to have the the spiritual disciplines and checks yeah that we're aware of the of our our unique perspective and, the, and that we're not in line yes, maybe with, the, with what reality actually is yep. and that we at least explore that space and what, yes. that, what that looks like. Truth, reality. Um, so many, so you think about so little, so there's so little that you can focus on. And then like for me, your background, right? So gives oh, you a lens part of it, of what you see when you're looking at something. And so even if you're focused on something, you may not even see it for what it is yeah. because you've been given some your filter, your up, yeah. life experiences. Right? So this whole thing of like what God I think is up to in the world uh, uh, is like such a gracious gift of like, you know, cause I used to think about the look at the birds thing and, and, and him going, look at the lilies of the field. I dress them. Why would I not care for you? And think like, what, what is that? Like, come on. Like, he's not really going to like give everybody food and he's not really going to like, you know, people are, but I actually believe full wholeheartedly that if we looked at the birds and understood that as a focal point of reality and what God has done with them and literally in a literal sense, take 10 minutes, focus on birds. That's true in the world. Yep. That's a real thing that's happening right now. It has nothing to do with you. They're flying around. They're getting what they need. They can fly. They're beautiful. They have homes. They have the, all of that is provided. You had nothing to do with it. That's true. And how is that not the same for you? If in some type of anthropological way, we are the extension or we are the fullness of what it means to be alive and God made them and God made us too. It's, I mean, that's mindfulness. Yeah. That's how, you know, with golf, you hit a shot and then you walk and it might be five minutes before you hit your next shot. And so your mind can go a lot of different places. Focus. And so this whole idea of mindfulness is that when you're in between your shots, you, you make yourself aware of your surroundings. Mm. So you close your eyes, you listen, listen to the wind and the trees. You focus mm. on the birds mm. or the trees mm. or you, you become a, aware of your environment and yeah. surroundings of what's real and you don't let your mind race and create else. this story and narrative about your performance or how you're playing. Hmm. 
I think that's exactly that's what, what, you're, what you're describing. Focus on what's true. Focus on what's... Don't let your mind... Create the story. Create a different story. That could go anywhere. Wow. Um, but... F- it's a way of, of being present and kind of drawing yourself back into this like center position. Yeah. Um, it's really, really powerful. Okay. So let's, let's, let's head there. We're going to talk to Brad about leadership. Um, and so this is a part of, of the podcast called the aficionado. Let's go there. Okay. So Brad, we already said you're the assistant uh, coach for the Buckeyes. Golf team, yep. men's golf team, and um, married to Carmen, which uh, she's a Michigan fan. So before you get into your background a little bit, like how in the world did this happen? What? How does that work? How does that work? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> it's been good for you know the last nine years, and, and late November this year was a little rough on yeah. my end. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, geez. It's the first loss since you've been married probably, right? Um, I think so. <sighs> yeah. That's all right. We'll, 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 we'll run off 10 more in a row. I mean, come on. It's got to be. Maybe we needed a little, a little bump there i I think we'll be ready in columbus next fall so do you do you guys genuinely have like like any type of like of course i know it's not like actually like deep rooted tension around oh it's pretty deep rooted. okay okay never mind (laughs) then it is like but you do like those days or when that happens is it It, is there it's a lose-lose because nothing you can say or she could say and so you like i may try to make a comment that's like oh i bet it'll be a good game or something yeah and she takes it as total offense right like, yeah right yeah no it won't or no vice yeah versa. oh just shut up yeah she was i really think she was trying to be pretty nice after the game this year but i just took it as like you're rubbing it in yeah my yeah face. yeah just being quiet is almost even even worse yeah but so her dad's a big michigan fan so she just like loves him because she grew up around a big michigan fan but i mean i guess uh, all the kids are ohio state fans though yeah so they're this is one funny thing with carmen that we do so i would like you to officially confirm or deny this this sentiment we tell carmen that your oldest daughter um scarlet is named after the scarlet and gray that that are the Buckeyes because you're a Buckeye. And she says that that's not true at all because of the way that it's spelled. So I need to know. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> if we lived in Ann Arbor, she wouldn't be named Scarlet. That's, that's, that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a confirmation. Yeah, I mean, it's just she can't help that. That's got to be, she's so funny because she actually hates the Buckeyes. Yeah, she does. So she loves her daughter, and of course she loves you, and of well, course. She, she, she claims to root for Ohio State golf, but sometimes I, I even you wonder doubt about that. Yeah, it's like there's moments where you guys like will lose, and she's a little too happy. Yeah. Not, not affected enough by it, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not as, as upset as I am. Right, right, uh-huh. for sure. Okay, so um, Brad, tell us all a little bit about your golf background and some of your experience in golf. And then let's launch into some of this discussion on leadership. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Indiana. Um, my dad was a golf pro. My uncle played on the PGA Tour for 20-some for years. And my grandpa, was uh, he was in the sand and gravel business and, and built hmm. a golf course on some of his unused land hmm. in the mid-90s. So I was, I was like five or six when it opened. Um, and we lived on the golf course. My parents um, operated it. So I, I spent my whole life just... wow. I, I was working at the golf course by the time I was 10, 
playing and practicing. I mean, I spent in the summers I was there sun up till sundown yeah. for, for as long as I can remember. And then uh, got recruited, played golf here at Ohio State, best college in the country, no doubt. So tell, tell a little bit about the recruitment process. Um, I was, it, it was between Indiana and Ohio State were my two final choices. I grew up an Indiana fan. It was, um, I played basketball also in high school. So I, I'm old enough to remember the Bobby Knight days yeah. and, and watching those teams. It was a big deal mm-hmm. in my family. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of always thought I would go to Indiana and I came over here on a visit my senior year of high school to Columbus and just fell in love with the place, went to a football game. It was the, uh, it was a Troy Smith, Ted Ginn year, the year they lost in Florida okay. to the national championship. Okay. 2007 we, or something like that. Yeah. Or, fall yeah. Of, of six, yeah, 2006. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was the Penn state game when Troy Smith made that throw from midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, was that when they, we were down? No, 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 no. That's not the game I'm thinking I, of. I think we beat them yeah. fairly handily, okay, but okay. Um, one of his like kind of Heisman okay. moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we were on like the second row, and, wow. and I'm like, I'm sold. That's <laughs> a big deal. I didn't realize that. That how? I mean, how did you not go to IU? I mean, honestly, like just because of how much. I mean, I've never been to IU. So. Yeah. It would have been more comfortable. The The golf course here was a lot better. So I just felt from a golf perspective, okay. I was going to get challenged and pushed a little bit more. And then with the football game and kind of the general college experience yeah. that I was going to have, I was like, this is, this is going to be great. But I, I came over here. I grew up in a town of 10,000 people. Where is it called? Peru? It's Peru. It's North Central Indiana. Wow. Um, so I, you know. 10,000 people, everybody knows each other's names and then come That's to school one here. sixth of Ohio State's Yeah, 50 campus. or 60,000 people, <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. it is now. Um, but I, I went for it and, and never looked back. I never regretted it. Yeah. Um, loved my time here. Yeah. Had a good college career, c- kind of got better each year. Um, was second team all Big Ten my, my senior year, won an event. Um, hmm. what, event? what event? It was the Florida, Florida Atlantic Invitational. It was down in Florida, and then we, our team finished tied for fifth at Nationals my senior year, um, which was a huge deal. That's been our best finish at Nationals in like the last 25 years mm. or something of Ohio State golf. So we wow. we had a really good run. Um, one funny story is Carmen and I got married the summer before my senior year at Ohio State. Okay. So I was married my last year at college. All right. And that fall, I was playing with, with Patrick Reed, who was later gone on to become masters champion oh my gosh I think maybe I... twice really yeah um i, I know played on multiple rider cups okay yeah um really good player and, and he was so, at ohio state no we we were at a tournament and i was him. paired with him oh. we played in the same group where did he go to school he went to um augusta state okay which they won the national championship okay. yeah, that yeah, year yeah and uh so we're playing and we're a couple holes into the round and he goes hey just curious, but like, what's that ring on your finger? He's like, is that like a religious thing or something? Had no so idea. Funny. The thought of marriage was sure. was not even anywhere uh-huh. on his mouth. I'm like, well, I'm actually married. He's like, oh, are you? Are, why? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> for a, for a uh, college senior, very, very rare. Yeah, yeah. So I had a great career and experience here and then actually played professionally for a couple years after college. Mm-hmm. Um Never made it all the way to the tour, but but played the mini tours and yep. was, was working to to try to get my way up. And it's just a hard road, and, and yeah. it, it became more burdensome yeah. than enjoyable. Yeah. And so, 
decided to quit playing. We were starting our family. Yeah, you also had a, a kid. Yeah, like. we, we had Scarlett pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, so just what I wanted and, and it, I just knew that professional golf wasn't, wasn't mm-hmm. that anymore. It wasn't yep. the ultimate that, that I was chasing. I had things that were, that were more important for me. So mm-hmm. a few years passed and then I was, um, I got the opportunity to come on to the assistant, um, coaching role here at Ohio state. So we didn't have to move. It was a place I was really familiar with, um, dream opportunity. Yeah. That's amazing. And so I've been, this is my seventh season. Coaching. Wow. Seven years. Yeah. That's it, dude. Yeah, I, I, I mean, still get I still get asked occasionally if I'm a player when we're on the road. Yeah. So uh, hey, you looking know, as good, long as that feeling keeps good. Happening, That's right. I'll, I'll be happy. Staying with it. young. <laughs> That's got to keep you young. Yeah. I mean, the the kids that you're around and just the physicality of what you're doing all the time, just right. Oh yeah, I've I try to stay up with the culture, but yeah. there'll be stuff that they bring up. That yeah. I'm like what what right. what is this? what is going on? <laughs> yeah, you have to be dad at times. I'm sure. Yeah, lots of sure, times for sure. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do day in and day out with your players and just your role on the team. Yeah. So I, I do a little bit of everything. I'm involved in coaching guys from a, a swing, um, and short game standpoint. Mm-hmm. I help them. We have an academic advisor, but mm-hmm. I work with him a lot on making mm-hmm. sure guys are covered with missed class and doing what yeah. they're supposed to grades are in check. What's the standard? Like, what, what do they have to do from a grade perspective to stay active? There's a couple different th- things from an NCAA perspective, but our team GPA last year, last year was like a 3.55. We had the highest team GPA at Ohio State out of 36 sports. Wow. So our guys kill it in the classroom. Is that because all these guys are going to go be accountants and they're all geniuses anyway? Uh, we have a handful of finance majors. But no, they, they, do, a good, they do a hard. good job. Yeah. Um, there's recruiting, so it's mainly in the summer, but I'll go out and watch junior golfers play and evaluate them, host them for visits in the yeah. fall at football games. So it's it's not the same every day. Right. It, 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 there's a lot of variance as far as what I get to yeah, do, which you, I, I like that about, yeah. about the role. Lots of travel. Yes. Lots of travel during this season. And the season's right now, right? The, yeah, the season's uh, September and October, and then basically February through May okay. in the spring. Okay. And so how many, how does it look from like a, a, what's a season of golf at Ohio State, like in terms of regular season, Big Ten tournaments? Like, is it similar to what's happening with basketball right now? Or how does it all lay out? Yeah, we play roughly 10 events in the regular season. And so we don't play head to head though. So each one of those tournaments may have anywhere from eight to 15 teams at it. And, are, and is it, is it league play or is it just, it could be everybody. Okay. okay. Um, like this past tournament we were at, had a couple other big 10 teams, some teams from down South, okay. some mid-major level teams. And so we play that through the course of the year. And then the Big Ten championship is at the end of, of April. And so it's not based on like your performance during the year. You it's just, just show up. One three-round tournament. All 14 Big, te- Big okay. Ten teams are there. Okay. And whoever wins that tournament is the Big Ten champion wow. in golf. So is that the goal? Is the goal to progress every year get better and so you show up in peak form at the big 10 champion or the tournament yeah yep yep and then after big tens is ncaa's um, how does that work 
So just like other sports, a conference champion is an automatic qualifier. Okay. And then there's so many like at-large bids. Okay. But the at-large bids are based primarily on your ranking through the course of the season. So those 10 regular season events. They affect your... You're basically gathering wins. You know, if there's 15 teams, we're gathering wins and losses versus Mm -hmm. 14 other teams. And if we're losing to the best teams by a narrow margin, right. then it's going to pull our ranking yeah. up. And if we're getting beat by teams that are ranked, you know, in the one hundreds, it's going to pull our ranking down. Yeah. And so you're gotcha. kind of watching that through the course of the year. And there's kind of a magic number as far as what, where yeah. that ranking okay. is to qualify. Okay. So, so far good year, right? Yeah. We're having, we're having a good year. We have a good team. We're pretty young. So uh, I'm excited about the direction we're moving. What what have you seen in terms of players? I mean, they, you know, you've got at Ohio State Malachi Branham. He comes out the beginning of the year. He's just kind of role playing, and then he just goes off this last half of the year and becomes freshman of the year. But a lot of it, and they they talk about this with a lot of these quarterbacks now too, with all the seven on sevens and just the development at such a younger age. What what have you seen? in seven years in terms of where players are when they come as a freshman to the school in their development. Yeah. I mean, they're even from when I was playing, which wasn't that long ago, kids are getting better earlier. Yeah. There's no question, but there's also a balance there of, you know, I, I see certain kids that are, they're the best in the country at 12, 13, 14. And then they start to go, to go down and mm. kind of fizzle and, and lose the enjoyment of passion by the time they get to college. And so there's definitely a, a balance and a, and a perspective yeah. there that, that you have to keep yeah. as you're a youth, you know, progressing through the sport and into college. We can talk about sports all day. Are there like five star? Like how do they do and from a recruiting perspective? There's a ranking system. Do you have, do you have any of those? Like are, is, does Ohio State garner attention from top 20 players in the country? Yeah, we, I mean, the Ohio State brand is so big. Yeah. Um, in our sport, weather is a factor that's right. um, constantly yeah. talked about um, just because it's an outside sport. And so we do have uh, one of our sophomores was the national player of the year wow. in his class, his senior year of high okay. school. Okay. Where? So he was, uh, he went to Green High School up in the Akron Canton area. Oh, okay. So From he's here. an Ohio kid. Wow. But he visited all over the country, and all the biggest programs, and, and we ended up getting him to Ohio State. That's awesome. Yeah. Huh. So, um, okay. I want to hear so much about your interactions with the players individually, but just start, generally speaking, what it what is leadership you know, in your job, and, and how would you define it generally, or I guess contextually in, in, in golf, or both? Yeah. Um, I mean, leadership's everything. I think it's hard to define, but Mm -hmm. probably the best definition I could kind of put together, and and I'm sure I took this from somebody, but it's it's taking someone on a journey Mm -hmm. or to a place that they wouldn't otherwise go by themselves. Mm. So it's not that you're doing. Ne- it. I've never heard it said that way, and I have a master's in Christian <laughs> leadership, so that was that. That's a that's a very unique articulation. Yeah. So it's not it's not that you're doing it for them, and it's not that you're pushing, but you're kind of alongside someone, helping them see potential, see a vision, mm-hmm. see a path, move forward mm-hmm. that they probably otherwise wouldn't be able to do by themselves, or it'd take a lot more time, energy, and effort. Yeah. So. Um, Talk about how that manifests in in golf and in what you do with your players. Yeah, I mean, I think in my role 
in any leadership role, trust is is paramount, and that's that's kind of the cornerstone. Okay, and so I think trust is broken into three different categories. Okay, most people think of competency as in your knowledge of. In my case, it would be golf. Right, you know, sure. it's different in every yep. business, yep. Yep. but it's yep. it's it's knowledge, and, and I think the general idea is that that is basically everything and the most important thing. If you know everything, then Then you're a leader. Okay. But that's only one piece of the puzzle in my opinion. Yeah. So you have competency, you have to have care. Okay. And I would argue that care is the most important because your, your players or or the people that you lead, they have to know that you care about them, Mm -hmm. that you're going to be there for them because you may have all the knowledge and insight in the world but if I don't think that you have my back, yeah. I'm not going to run run for you. I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna go to an uncomfortable place yeah. because you told me to. Right. If I don't believe that you care about me and yeah. have my best interest yep. at heart. Yep. So that's second, and then third is consistency. Okay. You have to be there over and over again. Mm. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. Um, I heard Tom Ryan say, "Who Tom Ryan is the wrestling coach at Ohio State." Okay. Tremendous respect. He's one of my favorite people just to kind of sit really? and listen to. He's he's incredible. And I know nothing about wrestling. Right, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I know nothing about wrestling. But, you know, he said relationships are a lot building a relationship is a lot like building a muscle. Hmm. So it takes intention, it takes some sweat, it takes effort, it takes time. It takes some stress at yeah. certain points. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes those relationships are built because you work through a hard situation together. You can't just just sit there and everything be easy sure. and expect it to grow. Yeah. And so I think when it comes to trust, you got care, competency, and consistency yeah. are, are the key That's good. key points. And so you you what do you do? Do you tell players this is our DNA as it pertains to kind of how we're going to lead you through this, or do you just manifest that? Like how does how does that look with you between you and your player? Yeah, so this I think this is kind of an interesting story. So we have we have a couple kids on our team from Europe. And so you know, we're guys, we talk about sports all the time yeah, in our locker kinds. room. It's always about sports, but yeah. in the fall it's always about American football. And so last year we had two kids from Sweden on the team who they don't care about American football. Mm. And that's primarily what the discussion is, you know, Buckeyes, NFL. Sure, yeah. And they're just kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't throw a fit, but they're not really engaged. You're not, in, you can tell dialogue. you're not engaging them. Yeah. Yeah. So these, these two especially were huge English Premier League soccer fans. Okay. They each had a different team. And so last spring, when we, they were both in our top five in our lineup. And so last spring, we were on the road um, a lot. They were in my van a lot, and they were constantly talking about this. English soccer. Okay. And I know nothing of that world. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's yeah, totally right. foreign to yeah, me. Yeah. And so about I don't me, even really follow MLS. I don't either. Yeah. I mean, soccer in general is just yeah. I, I've never really followed it. Mm-hmm. And so about halfway through the spring, you know, when they were having their conversation about English soccer, I was the one quiet because I was like, I don't know the teams, the players, I have yep. no clue what these guys are talking about. So I decided that I'm gonna pick a team so that I have a rooting mm. interest in this English soccer league. Yeah. And so I ended up picking a team that's one of my players, like arch rival. And so I just started to watch a few games, you know, follow him on Instagram. So I know who's yeah, on yeah, the yeah. team. 
and just try to do it as a way to like make a connection with these guys. And so fast forward with this tournament, um, uh, this was two days ago and the team that I've adopted as my team is playing in the afternoon. And we're, we have this 36 whole day where we're on, we're at the golf course from six 30 in the morning till six 30. So it's a long grueling day. My team's playing in the afternoon. I checked the score at halftime on my phone and they're up three to nothing. And so I see this other kid, this Swedish kid walking on the hole next to where I am at the time. And I like sprint over this hill through the trees and I go to find him and I'm like, Hey, guess what? And I was like, my team's up three, nothing. (laughs) And he has this like chuckle and, and, you know, did that moment, like, can you quantify what that moment does? No, but I think that that, you know, shows him that I care about him. It in a long day, it was a way to like relax a little bit, break down the Mm -hmm. kind of tension and mental exhaustion that Mm -hmm. that you're kind of facing at that point. And so just finding different ways that it's not some elaborate um, tactical or or like informative thing, but just ways to like show people that you care and, and try to make a connection. And this kid especially has like opened up exponentially over the past six months. Wow. I'm not saying it's solely because of me. And and I started talking about soccer with him, but it was just a way to like try to make him feel more comfortable. Absolutely. Now the context coaching, like when you, when you describe and define coaching, like what does it look like for you? When you're, is it that, is it those relationships? Is it, like you said, those four parts, but the instruction, like what does the classic coaching look like for you as opposed to, you know, like practice for a basketball team and then like sit, standing on the sidelines, like what is, what does coaching mean to you? Yeah. I mean, from a golf perspective, you know, I'll watch guys hit balls on the range, putt, I'll go out on the course with them mm-hmm. and, you know, I may just walk beside them for their round and talk through different shots. A, a lot of what, what I'm coaching isn't, it's not like I'm trying to rebuild somebody's swing on yeah. the driving range. Right. It's, it's how how can you maximize your on-course strategy? Yeah. How can you get the most out of your game? Because mm-hmm. in theory, if we're recruiting them, they yeah. should be pretty good, They're good to when a they certain get to level. You. Yeah. We just want to try to help them yeah. maximize and, and reach yeah. their full potential. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, hitting back to what we talked about with Coach K, yeah. it's not just about the sport. Right, right. And, um, I heard somebody talk about this idea recently that was, you know, a transactional versus a transformational leader. Yeah. And so if you think of a transaction, it's just like, Hey, what are you going to do for me? How how are you going to perform? What are you going to shoot today? Yeah. It's very just solely golf Mm -hmm. versus the transformational leader is, is helping them grow as a person, yeah. helping them go somewhere they haven't, they haven't been before. I mean, your main theme with leadership is the connection, the relationship. Is that, do you find that, first of all, how, how did you, you learned that uh, from somewhere? Like, how did you figure that piece out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I started coaching seven years ago, I thought I had it all figured out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, how did you learn? Of course, right? You start off, you think you know. And I realized that because I knew what I did as a player and I knew how I learned it. And I was like, this is just what you got to do. This yeah. is how it's done. Yeah. And I've since learned in my time as coaching that there's so many different ways to do it. And everybody does come from a different background yeah. and have a slightly different perspective. Yeah. And so... I feel like now seven years in, I almost know like 
nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, a lot less. Yeah. Um, but what are, everybody's what are, different. What are some of your, give a story or, or just an example of the biggest challenge or maybe even a failure in golf where you, you tried something, it didn't work, or it was a stressful thing that you had to figure out. And then one of your greatest successes in terms of all those pieces coming together. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, I think it, in terms of a failure, it's, you know, we've had a few kids that just, we haven't been able to get kind of buy in. Yeah. Um, and I think it probably goes back to that trust. These were situations where we inherited uh, players when we started. Okay. So we didn't recruit them. They're like freshmen, Which is an sophomore. interesting kind of dynamic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so just knowing things that would really help them grow as golfers and also as, as people in, in certain circumstances and just not being able to kind of push the right buttons to, to reach and, and connect with them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's hard. So you, you, in your mind or, or your experience, you have some kid, they come through the program, they leave and it's like, ah, yeah, we totally. just never, we never cracked never through, quite clicked, never quite fully clicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gotta be hard. Yeah. And then they just kind of fade away. Right. Um, and then I, I think, kind of when the opposite of that happens, yeah. it's, it's super rewarding. And yeah. it's, it's not even most of the time. It's honestly not with golf either. Right. It's like, you see this person, w- we had a kid who, yeah, how many guys leave even Ohio state and, and raise to the highest level or even play any, any version it, of professional. I mean, it's like any sport. The percentage 10, is 2% extremely low. Yeah. Yeah. But we had a kid who, he was from California and he was, he was homeschooled through high school. Mm-hmm. And so he came to Ohio state and just, I mean, that's a long way from home mm-hmm. school wise. It was a shock versus what he kind of had been doing. And it was just, it was a bumpy road for most of his career as far as mm-hmm. academically work ethic at times mm-hmm. And then by his last semester, it like clicked and Hmm. he was a different person. Wow. And he was taking care of his school stuff ahead of time, not having to worry about it on the road or if he could even travel. Mm -hmm. Um, He was working hard in the gym and his performance like skyrocketed that last semester. So that was really cool to see just kind of his his progression and development. And then when it kind of clicked for him, I felt great when he left us that like this guy can do a lot, whether it's golf or anything else. Who's the guy that, uh, you play? Oh, it's the guy you played with. Who's on the tour. Bo Hogue. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Hogue. So did he win uh, the Memorial or he was like, no, he played the Memorial, but he was competitive. He was like in the last couple groups or something on Sunday. I think, uh, did I, did I tell you that I, I, I did the thing that like you're not supposed to do <laughs> at the memorial. Me. Yeah, right. No surprise. <laughs> but like in golf, like you know, you're not supposed to like talk to these guys. But like he was going from, I think it was from 12 to 13. So like 12 is the one that's over the water. 12 is the par three. Yeah. Yep. It might have been that. He might have been going if whatever. I was standing there in the ropes between the the you know at the memorial, and this guy walks by, and I and I said to him, and he was like looking at people. You know, like you. There's times when no one's looking at anybody. He was, he was looking and I was like, Hey man, I work with Carm. I work with Brad Smith's wife. 
I said that exactly. Hey, man, I work with Brad Smith's wife. And he looked at me and he smiled and he gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> I was like, okay, because you were his roommate, right? Yeah, we were roommates. Yeah. And I got to caddy for him. He played in the Corn Ferry event at the Scarlet Course in yeah. the fall. And I got okay. to caddy for him, which was a really cool experience to kind of spend the week together and, and try to try to help him. And well, what have you, what'd you learn from him? Like what, like with what he, where he is, he's what, like top 150 in the world. Yeah. So uh, that's he's really insane. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's just, <laughs> no, it's, it was fun to observe him go about his business and, and the professionalism and, and we try to instill that, but the level he's at versus the collegiate level, it's just a whole nother, just, yeah. discipline um commitment and uh, he manages his emotions and games so well wow. and that's that's what we preach yeah but the majority of college players are it's they're just it's highly emotional in in their sport and their performance yeah and so uh, with emotions you know you can't say hey <laughs> don't feel a certain way yeah right because you hit you hit a ball in our sport you hit a ball in the water you're gonna feel something yeah, 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 you right. can't think oh i'm not gonna feel anything because you are yeah, because yeah, right. you care but it's what do you what do you do with so that yeah, emotion talk, talk about feeling? that how do you how do you coach a kid through that so we try to we try to say use that emotion or that feeling as a cue a hmm. cue for awareness don't use it as a cue to action or hmm. a reaction a reaction yeah so you know, you hit a ball in the water, you feel upset. Okay, I'm aware that I'm feeling upset. I know I need to do these things to clear and be ready for my next shot. Mm. So that would be the appropriate way. Yeah. Well, a lot of times happens is hit a ball in the water, you're mad, you walk up to the green still mad, you drop your ball, you hit your next shot mad, mm -hmm. you maybe don't execute that well. Mm -hmm. yeah. your, your anger, frustration, yeah. it, it starts spiraling downward yeah. um, and, and your train is off the tracks. How do you, how do you, you just have to work through it with them, right? Like you just reminding them, like you can't bring that emotion into, the, you got to you got to dispense of it appropriately, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you can say it, it, but it's not going to change. Right. It's, it, they have it's to over and figure over. It out. They have, you know, there has to be failure. It's yeah. got to happen. Then yeah. you like, you let enough time, you don't talk about it immediately after it happens, but you kind of debrief after yeah. that tournament. Right. Yeah. How can we have a better game plan yeah. for when, yeah. because I, you know, People, I feel like we don't we don't expect adversity, which I think is the wrong approach. Yeah, expect to, adversity yeah. is gonna happen. Yeah. No matter how well you prepare, adversity is gonna happen. And there's a story about Michael Phelps and his swimming coach, and all the different things that they practiced for adverse situations. Mm. So he would be at swimming practice and the coach would tell him to not secure his goggles so that water would get in his eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would make him stand on the on the board or whatever for five extra minutes in like, case there was case some, some unexpected kind of delay. delay. He would rush him through warm-ups. Mm. So Phelps would practice all these different situations mm. so that when that adversity came in the Olympics, you're he ready. Had, he had lived through it. He yeah. knew what mm. to do. And I think that's super powerful oh, yeah. in anything yeah. like like Sunday morning for you yeah. guys, you know, 
mics go out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you don't just like, oh, yeah. everything's going to go smooth yeah, sailing. Right. No, what you are you going to do when it doesn't? Systems and mm-hmm. contingencies and plan for like, okay, this person is going to yeah, cover yeah. cover this role. Yeah, yeah. And so I think with golf, what we try to do is like, let's not expect to play our best round. Like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be confident in ourselves and mm-hmm. our abilities, but when we make two bogeys in a row or we hit a ball in the water, like we're gonna try to talk through and have a plan of like how we're gonna react and handle those different situations. Do you have? I, I love that. I mean, it makes me think so many things. Uh, you know, my wife's a clinical therapist, and she talks about emotion. Like people think emotions are wrong. They're not wrong. They right. Have, they have messages. Yep. So her her whole thing is let the train come to the station. Let it, let the emotion get off the train, tell you what it wants to tell you, then put it back on the train and let it go. Yeah. Like yeah. let it, let it breathe. Cause otherwise it'll burst for sure, <laughs> which is what you're, what you're doing, right? Like you're going process the emotion. You are angry. And now what are you going to do next? Right? What's the next thing? Right. Well, it's like the whole like positive thinking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What that's, about that's great. Yeah. Let's hear that. Cause but, that, that's what, that's what, you know, you hear the kind of cliche think positive. Yeah. But I mean, if something bad happens, if you're just thinking positive, you're not, you're not in reality. Yeah. You're not actually dealing with it. Right. So like you have to, you just have to have a plan for how to deal with those hard situations, negative things that may happen, whether that's sport business, Mm -hmm. sure. It's going to happen. And and I think this, the cliche of, of think positive, like, doesn't help you fully deal with the situation and, and, and work through it. So what, what, what are some of the like competitive edge things that actually do give people, I understand. So processing the failure. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I I've heard what tiger, the vision, the, the, maybe that's not positive thinking, but what are some of the tools that you give for optimal performance? So I understand what you're talking about, like how to holistically manage a player through the performance. But are there things that you tell them to get that you think gain them the competitive edge? Yeah. I mean, I think in, in your preparation and daily life, you have to do things that make you uncomfortable. Okay. That's good. And so as humans, we're, we're designed biologically that we seek comfort right. safety yeah it's it's who we are right yes and That's so good. if we just hold on to that and never put ourselves in situations where we could fail or could have to have a hard conversation yeah, or yeah. work through something difficult when it happens, when it's the most important that yeah. we want to be able to perform and handle that, yeah. we have no chance. Yeah. That's good. Um, so you, you will tell a player like that part of what you're doing with your practices and they're in the program is the, the, you know, these disciplines, these, this is how you gain the competitive edge. Embrace the discomfort. Embrace the discomfort. And I think, um, I, I think fitness in the weight room yeah, yeah. is, which I want to talk about CrossFit cause we both <laughs> lo- love CrossFit. Yeah. We're, we're nerds. In yeah. That. Yeah. But I, I almost think that that does more for people mentally than physically. I mean, there's so many physical boundaries. The the, the physical, you mean wor- working out? Working out, yeah, pushing yeah. your body, just in whatever methodology that you follow or that you participate in, doing that consistently when you don't want to, when it gets hard and you have to push through and keep doing. Like, I believe if I'm at the Big Ten Championship and I'm on the tee with another coach and another player, 
I am mentally tougher and more ready and able to like coach my guy better than that other coach because of how hard and uncomfortable my workouts are yeah. and that I've done that over and over mm. that regardless of pressure circumstance, like I'm going to be able to mentally hang in there better than, than any yeah, other yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah. I, because you it may put not yourself, be rational, but no, I, I, don't know. I, I think that. No, I mean, it's painful. I mean, working out is, that's the whole idea, right? Is you break yourself down, you get stronger, you're, you're ready for the discomfort. So a workout is literally that. Yeah. And but then, if you, if you never go there in anything in yeah, your life, yeah. when it, you know, you give a, a message yeah, right. on Sunday morning and it, it doesn't yeah. go or land how you want it to, or during the message, yep. you realize that yep. you're just kind of not off and yep. feeling it. Yep. Like if you're not used to that discomfort or, or just safety, yeah. if you're yeah. not used to being out of that, like you're, you're going to crumble right, when, right. when the lights are the brightest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, okay. Talk a little bit about the, the whole like visualization of of performance like it does that is that a real thing does that work because i mean you do hear this with in golf yeah um, see the shot you know whatever i mean the ball be the ball you know the ball send the ball home whatever right. like is that is that a real thing that like i mean I, I i think i did hear tiger talk about some type of visualizing every shot that he's going to hit yeah i mean it's so a lot of guys, they'll stand before hitting a shot. They'll stand directly behind the That's, ball yeah. and they're looking straight ahead and they're see they're trying to see where they want the ball to start mm -hmm. the flight. It's the height curvature and then where it's, it's going to land. But as you walk into the ball, there has to be something switched to where you go from this kind of thinking visualization to just a, a we call it a play zone natural where you're, you're natural. You're not thinking about, oh, what am I doing in my backswing and my follow through? Like at a certain point before you hit the ball, it should become just natural. You're kind of in the moment, yeah. in the flow. Okay. Do you, okay. This is a little bit of a different question. Do you, um, when a kid shows up and they've got their, no pun intended, their bag of tools, mm -hmm. if you will, both from like their physical ability of the game, their emotional perspective, their um, personality. Like, do you feel that the tools that you give them or the coaching that you give them, that they can, almost anybody can learn if they have a baseline of skill, whatever that is, there has to be a, a threshold of, if they go to Ohio State, they have to have a level of competency that is, I'll say it's in the excellent range. Yep. I mean, these guys all shoot, you they're know, whatever they're scratched, they're in. plus five or I don't know what they are, but they're yeah. all like that, right? Yep. For the most part. Yep, they're legit. So, so, and then there's this whole other tier. So from where they come when they show up to making it to whatever, at least I'll say maybe a championship level team, can every player go there? Or do you see things where you're like, this person is not going to be able to because they have physical limitations, because they have, uh, because I, you know, I, I yeah. always view, go I grew up in a golf, my wife's family's a golf family. So like, I remember seeing, you know, there's like this giftedness. I mean, you know, you go watch the Memorial Tournament or anyone that just plays golf and you're like, okay, like that person looks like they have a gift. Right. So I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at more than, than just your ability to take them there. How much does giftedness, whether it's temperament, 
uh, physical ability play into someone's ability to play at the level that you you coach them? I so I, I think this is really interesting. Talent, it's definitely a factor. Yep, but it's certainly not the only factor. And this is this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Is we see people in their greatest moments. So think about Coach K. We yep. talked about. Yep. Um, you know the Super Bowl, Matt, sure. Matt, Matt Stafford, Stafford in the Co- fourth Cooper quarter. Cup. Yep, yep. Um, the no, the no look pass. Yeah, Nadal winning the yep. Australian Open mm-hmm. to become the most most Grand Slams all time in tennis. We see just these small little snapshots yeah, yeah. of people in their greatest On moment the bright stage. And I think the natural inclination is that oh, they're just gift, like they're just special, they're just different. Hmm. And I think. You know, talent is there, but it's it goes way, way beyond more. what got that person to that moment. Yeah. And I, I think we often totally miss sight of that. Yeah. And and with the Super Bowl, I, I saw an interview with Stafford. You know, they were talking about that fourth quarter with Cooper Cup. Yeah. Like, that was amazing. Yeah. You guys are incredible. And he's like, that was just hard work. Right. He was like, that was going in, spending hours throwing the basic routes getting our timing down it wasn't it's not the sexy stuff to do yeah yeah there are no cameras yeah it's just over and over and over again doing the basics the basics of basics and then they were able to do it yeah. on, the, on the biggest stage right. but i think it's so easy to just see oh yeah well they're, they're just they're, they're just the really best. talented they're, the best. they're just talented <laughs> just because they're yeah. the best. you got this combination of talent in insane work ethic. Yep. And your, your and the team. mentality. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about his story. I mean, that guy has been good for a long time. He might argue, arguably be worse than he was five years ago in terms of his age. Yeah. But here he is on this team with all these great players in this different thing. And now he's exceeding. So it's like, Oh, Matt Stafford's yeah. the best ever. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he's been in the league for 12 years playing for the Detroit lions and you know, he worked probably just as hard, yep. but so it's the people around you. Yeah. It's and not there, just and the thing with that work is there's no guarantee that it's going to pay off. Right. Yeah. So, so talk about to, that. You have to do that. So have you seen 14 peaks peaks, the documentary on Netflix? No. What's it so about? So it's, there are 14 mountain peaks in the world that yeah. are over 8,000 meters in height. Okay. And the previous record of somebody climbing all of these peaks was like six or seven years. Then it, it took them six or seven years to climb them all? To climb all 14. Jeez. And, so, yeah. And a guy did it. In One s- every two years. Yeah. A guy did it in six months just recently. What the heck? So, ex- I mean, it's like Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're over in like uh, Pakistan yeah, and right, China yeah. and Nepal. Yeah, and so what? it's a documentary of this guy doing this. And I mean, we're not just talking like he beat the record by No, a few I mean, weeks. no, I mean, this is... <laughs> I mean, it's astronomical how, what what he did and climbing. It's an endurance and it's, it's a well, really and interesting... Well, I mean, the, this, the, the, uh, I mean, the risk of death oh, on these yeah. things coming down the mountain. Yeah, and, his team. And yeah. It's, and he even like stopped along the way to like help people that were stranded in the midst of like trying to set this record. So what, what? And so... It's Give it away. But <laughs> what happened? What did he do? Well, what I found interesting was once again, you see this moment of this guy who did this remarkable thing, and you're like, oh, he's just different. Yeah. No. Which he does have some, you know, lung, lung capacity, capacity yeah. things that are special. But one of the things he said in the documentary was that I wake up every day and I'm competing against myself to be better than I was yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was profound. Yeah. Like, if we all did that and and just thought, okay, today I'm going to try to be a little bit better yeah. than I was yesterday. Yeah. 
where would we all yeah. be able to go? What would we be able to accomplish yes. if we set our mind to it? And I, love I that. think I think we tend to just get in the in the pattern and the routine of I'm gonna wake up, take the kids to school, go to work, pick up the kids, go to basketball practice with them, go to sleep, yeah, do it again. Yep. But it's like he he was very adamant that he had this mindset of that he he wasn't satisfied that he was trying to compete against himself to be better than he was the day so before. So conceptually in the way that lands in our lives is is profound, right? I mean, if you take every area of your life and you and, and you think to yourself, I can be better. I can get better at how I engage my kids. I can get better at how I prep for a sermon. I, I can get better, so I'm going to try. Like imagine what could happen yep. if you if you do that. So practically speaking, what did he what did he do to prepare himself like he how did he do you know did he, he get put, i mean he was he was the first i think he's from nepal okay. and he was the first of his nationality to he he was in some elite um army unit in england okay and so it was this special it was like, like the a navy, navy seals, seals equivalent yep. in england and yep. so he he trained and that was a goal and he moved to England and, and got selected for this like special forces group. Okay. And then he kind of moved up the ranks in the special forces group. And then he really wanted to do this climbing thing because a lot of times he said, what would happen is that, um, English or West quote unquote, Western climbers would come to Nepal where a lot of these peaks are and they would use the Sherpas, the local Sherpas, to help them climb, but they would get all the notoriety. And so he wanted mm, to do it by himself to put, to be a, a Nepalese or, yeah. or um, Nepali yeah, or whatever, somebody from Nepal to actually be the one who like was doing the climbing wow. and just obliterated this, wow. this record. Jeez. It's crazy. That is crazy, man. <laughs> I wouldn't do that one time. You should watch it. I mean, would you do it? Would you climb a mountain? Uh, hearts, hearts aren't, aren't big for me. <laughs> I mean, dude, like a lot of people die doing that. Don't yeah, they? I mean, there's the avalanches. I mean, they're at that altitude. You only have Anything so much oxygen happen. tanks. I mean, it's, so he had all the tanks and all the stuff and he just, and he, he had a crew of like a couple other guys, but that, his that did pace, with him. his pace and ability to continue to move with low oxygen and strength. He, he did three of the peaks in like 48 hours that were close to each other. <laughs> What in one the of them world? was like Mount Everest, the most d dangerous, highest one on, on earth or whatever. I know there's a similar story and I, I'm going to butcher it, but it's about marathons or the Iron Man. There was some guy that did like 20 of them or something in a year or some crazy or in three weeks or yeah. whatever, where, you know, just that level of, of discipline and then the giftedness and the drive and the focus. But I like the idea of you know, back to the eye, like if you really did focus on something, if you really tried to improve, what could you, what could you do? Right. What could you do? So the whole, you know, it's like the practice doesn't make perfect. It makes progress. Yep. The, the journey, the process. I, I mean, I, the little, I know I've watched some documentaries with like Nick Saban. Yeah. That tends to be enjoy, enjoy the process, fall in love with the discipline of yep. the daily routine and being uncomfortable and do it perfect in practice a bunch, a bunch of times and get better every day. And then who knows what can happen? Yeah. I think there's, there's kind of a, a dichotomy there where you have to have 
a long-term goal and a patience that yeah. you're going to withstand and be in it to really improve and go somewhere over time. So there's that long-term patience, yeah. but then you also have the short-term like urgency yeah. that I'm going to capitalize on today yeah. and I'm going to, I'm going to compete against myself yeah. today. I'm going to push myself today yeah. so that I can make that progress over so, time. All right. So the open, <laughs> so CrossFit for all of you who are listening, we're going to geek out for a minute on CrossFit. If you don't know CrossFit, it's a, I don't know, it's a sport that started like in 2008 or five or something like that. And it's like a cross training, uh, kind of almost all parts of fitness put into one. Yeah, it's I don't, like I don't know. strength, endurance, strength, endurance, mobility, uh, Olympic. There's like Olympic lifting. There's endurance. Gymnastics. There's gymnastics. There's so it's kind of like a, I, I'd call it like if you if you know anything about the Catholic Church, basically like the Catholic Church means like the universal church. And so if you're part of the Catholic Church, they kind of everyone's on the same page in terms of like the same messages being preached in every, you know, it's the same homily all across whatever the country, I'm sure it breaks up into different ones, but basically it's like, there's like the main thing and then it comes down and like, that's kind of the way CrossFit is. It's like, there's all these boxes and of course they do their own workouts, but then the open comes and everybody's doing the open and it's like an open, like the U S open or wherever, where anybody can anybody do it. Can qualify. Anybody can qualify. And then, you know, you have, it used to be five, workouts one a week for five weeks now it's three and you know you do these things and then if you're if you qualify and your times are better or whatever then you can make it to the regional and then to the games and all that stuff but um but it, it is also like you know very there's a very rich culture you know these places that are crossfit boxes is what they call them right where you you kind of you're an affiliate you pay for being a crossfit because it's a brand and then you know you you train in all these different disciplines and stuff and there's skills and strength and so you know go through it like you have skills like how you do pull-ups and and the the progression there like when you start you'll just do one and then you end up doing like kipping and then you end up doing you know, chest to bar, and then you end up doing butterfly. And then if you get really good, then you start to do muscle ups or whatever. So you kind of build and all of it has to do, there's a strength component. You have to do the form, right? Same with like double unders, you know, at first you do singles and then you, do, you end yep, up doing doubles yep. and then you can end up, you can, your skill can progress. I mean, like, you know, Olympic lifts, like the snatch and the power clean and all those things have to do with the motion that you're in, the form of your body, you know, the explosiveness, doing things properly so then you can increase your weight over time like the i would say like the power snatch is like probably one of the most technically advanced movements and to be able to do it at a heavy weight is pretty impressive but it's a very much a skill that you add strength to yep so you know i mean then there's then there's just like kill you box jumps do you know box jump burpees laying on the floor laying on the floor you know <laughs> you know like so but right now we're in the open. So you love CrossFit, but it really does apply in a lot of ways. I mean, it is one of those where I, I joined CrossFit years ago because it was close to my house. It, it had a plan. Yep. Because like, I don't want to go to the gym and decide what I'm going to do. Right. Even right. in the day of like, you can just look something up and, and no, I want to go in where there's like a plan that's not just like, here's what you do, but someone that's going to tell me what to do and that it's part of something bigger than myself that leads me somewhere because I don't have time to figure out where I'm going. Like I want to work out and get a good workout. So I want someone to tell me like, 
do this. You know, like I remember learning kipping pull-ups and it's like, okay, whatever, but I did it. <laughs> and then it led to more. Yep. But, um, so it was the proximity to my house, having a plan, having a person, an instructor, um, and then people like, like a group that Com- can, that's community. One the community part. So the fact that you do the workout most of the time with people means it kind of keeps you honest. You know, there's a competitive component to it where it's like, I'm competing with other people. I'm pushing myself. That's why I fell in love with it. And then it just kind of evolved in, into something that I I've gotten more into over time. Uh, I have to be careful if I'm not careful, I'll hurt myself. I actually hurt <laughs> myself not doing CrossFit, which is annoying because you do all these movements and it's supposed to be this cross-functional lifestyle fitness. And then I'm like running, playing basketball with my kid and I pull my groin. <laughs> which is probably more of a commentary on my age than it is on CrossFit. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. So tell me just a little bit like you're doing it right now. Yeah. What do you love about it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of what we talked about a little bit that, yeah. you know, it, it's a sport. And so there's competition amongst other people, yeah. but ultimately you're competing you against yourself. You are. And it's like, how, how far can I push myself yeah. to, to do the best I can yeah. do in that day? And then the the community aspect of it's, it's huge awesome, too. Yeah. Like I'm I'm judging right now because you you actually have a judge yeah. while you're doing the workout. So one of our good mutual friends, yeah. like I'm judging him when he's doing it, and I'm trying to like not only judge him but kind of coach and encourage yeah. him through yeah. the workout and be like you're on a good pace or you can pick it up a little bit. So it's just it's just a fun aspect to fun. try to see what you're made how you of be ba- yeah. oh, man. How, how much can you take to, to oh. kind of hurt for 10 or 15 minutes. So just to give some perspective, one of the things it does is it does humble you and show you physically. Oh, like, yeah. You know, so in ways it's really encouraging because if you do the open, like I did the open and the first year I did it, like I was in the top, I think 80th percentile for, for like anyone in the open, which is like pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Except <laughs> compared to what? Yeah, you know, I mean, like you look at the best in the world and the disparity between the best in the world and you, I mean, it's a joke. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. just, which is good, but you realize you're, you know, if you comparing, it's not about comparison in every aspect, but like you understand a level of fitness that you have. Most people in the world aren't doing anything like this. Right. And so you feel a little bit of confidence from that. And then, you know, when you look at, at how, how excellent you could get or who the best in the world are, it's just overwhelming and humbling. So this 20, so basically the open, they, they put out these workouts and they put out one a week and you have all weekend to do the workout and submit your score. And then you're, you know, you're compared with people in your age group and compared to all men and then women compared to all men and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's cool. You get to see where you are. So this, the 22.2, which is the second workout. Yeah. Okay. So let's just describe (laughs) this for people. Tell everybody what it was. So it was, uh, the rounds were one, two, three, all the way up to 10. Yeah. And then once you get to 10, you would go back down nine, eight, seven, all the way, all the way to one. And the movements were, a, for guys, it was a deadlift at 225 yep. pounds and then a bar-facing burpee, which is where you do a burpee and then you hop, hop over, over the, the, bar. the barbell. And so you would do one deadlift, one, one. one burpee, two deadlifts, two burpees, yep. all yep. the way up to yep. 10 and then yep. back down. Yep. So there was a 10-minute time cap. And if you finished, it would be 100 reps of each total. Yeah. If you finish it and you go all the way up and down the ladder, 200 movements, and then... So, I mean, the thing that was crazy about this to me, I saw the workout and I always like to see my initial judgment of the workout versus what it really is. And I thought, I thought to myself, I bet at least one of our guys in at our gym 
we'll finish this workout. Oh man. <laughs> so did Alex finish it? Um, I don't think he did. He didn't the first try. I don't know if he was trying again. He did. He's yeah. like this 25 year old kid stud. who's a total stud. Anyone that you know would be like, he's got to be one of the best. He, I mean, he probably won't even finish it. Now, the best guys in the world, when they announced it, you know, they finished it in 720, yeah. 740, whatever. So I, I don't know if you if if you're out there and you're listening to this. So I scaled it. And I did 135, and uh, and and so and you don't have to hop, so there's a difference, right? Because hopping's harder, right? Yeah, you have it to takes more. Explode, and you jump, so you get to walk, step over the bar, and I got 160 some. All okay. right, now, yeah. now it's it's a lot easier. I got the 130s. Yeah, but dude, that you was did the, ten, you that did was 225. I did, yeah, but that was at 10 minutes, and dude, some of the guys were finishing in seven. Some of the guys all were 200 reps. Oh, I mean, think so. Like some people, you have to go do this. Like if you're just like, go get, put, put 150 pounds on the bar, whatever you have, put 135 pounds on the bar and just do what we just said and see how far you get. Like, it hurts about two minutes. In. So most <laughs> and people, then you got eight left. <laughs> so most people cannot do this. Is the thing about this is when I was like, oh no, 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 never, never mind. Most people aren't going to finish this. Most people can't do a hundred burpees in 10 minutes. Be like, 10 per minute. Yeah. Just 10 per minute. You hear that? I, I've told the story before where David McCreary, when I first started CrossFit, I was like, dude, I finally got 110 minutes. And he was like, 100 what? I'm like, 100 burpees. This is like in 2014 or something. And he's like, what's a burpee? So I did a burpee. Go look up a burpee if you want to know what a burpee is. He's like, I, I was like, yeah, it's basically 10 burpees a minute. And he's like, I could do that. I'm like, Prove it. And so Wes Martin walks in the office and he has usually has like $200 of cash. And he goes, he heard me and Wes had done some CrossFit. So he's like, I said, Wes, he thinks he can do a hundred burpees in 10 minutes and he doesn't work out or he may work out a little bit at the time. He was not really working out. And I was like, okay, I'll give you, I had 50 bucks and Wes was like, I'll give you 200 bucks if you can do it. And he's like, oh my gosh. So he's like, He's like, I know I can do this. Like, I know that I can do this. this. is so easy. I can do this. And he's like, it's like this, right? And he does two burpees. I'm like, yep, that's it. Just do that. Probably not even perfectly like technical burpees or whatever. Right, right. But like, I'm like, fine, you do that right there. That you do that a hundred times in 10 minutes. So he gets to 10 and he's like, oh my gosh, dude, he got to 19 <laughs> and then he gave up. I was like, come that's on. That's a long way from 100. That's a long way. And he did like, he, he he was pacing it. So he does 10 in the first 10 minutes or minute. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go the second minute. And then he got into the second minute, nine. And he's like, he he didn't finish until like 2.15 or something. Yeah. And I was like, he was like, I can't do it. Well, that's, like, he just stopped. You know, like we were talking about. So that workout, for example, is yeah. you do the first 20, 25, you know, deadlifts and burpees and you're fresh yeah. and you feel good. Yeah. But then there's a moment yeah. when it hits you. When did it hit you? It hit me pretty early, about three minutes in, yeah. I would say. And so you're like the round of six, six, seven, eight yeah. going up the ladder. <laughs> and you're just like, no way. I don't want to do nine on the back end. Yeah. And so you're three minutes into this 10 minute workout and your body's saying, nope, I'm, yeah. I want to be done. So you, I, I would like, you're in better shape than me. You should try this workout scaled and see, and see if you could, cause I, I mean, finish. I think you might be able to, it's Maybe. An, because it's an interesting workout. Like, I never sped up 
I just did the same pace the whole time. And, you know, like kind of just ran, just like didn't go fast enough. Yeah. But like, I didn't, at the end of it, I wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I can't do anymore. I basically stayed the same pace. So I, if I tried it's basically it again, one rep every three seconds yeah. for 200 reps yes. would be 10 minutes. Yes. And so, but I bet you could get close, but it's, that's one of those workouts that I'm like, come on, everyone should scale this because dude, the best and some of the best guys in the world didn't finish. Yeah. It's such a test. It is. It is such a test. I love. I, that's why I like it. Is it, I do too. It's like, a mental test. Men, it's you're like, just like you gotta you gotta push through that point of like, man, I <laughs> I would love to stop right yeah, now. <laughs> I know, man. Well, dude, um, I was gonna, you know, we'll have to have you back sometime. I want to hear. I wanted to hear a little bit more about some of the people in your life, and so maybe sometime we'll have you back. But uh, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, uh, enjoyed the enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, uh, I think what you're doing with those kids and your focus. I mean, they're lucky to have you as a coach, someone that's like, you know, more comprehensive. I, I would say is what I hear that it's, you know, I think the idea that a lot of people just think that it's just like, here's how you win. Yeah. Here's how you win, win the sport. And, you know, like that's one thing for sure. I'm learning right now as a dad who has a, you know, kids that play basketball and, just the the realities you take your my son is tall for his age you know i mean he's doing really well he's he's you know made the the travel team yeah he's doing really well but you go to an aau tournament in cleveland with a bunch of inner city kids and you know that are in the fifth grade and you're like okay and you do know the statistic like kids are not going to go play professional basketball I mean, especially not my white kid. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, you know, of course, I'm not going to say he never can, right? But there's about a 99.999% chance that he's not. And there's a, there's that, there's a hundred percent chance that he's going to do, do other things in life, even if he does have a professional career. To really understand that sports is so much bigger and it's about helping people become better people, helping people navigate the real things. I think that is what it's all about to gain perspective. Cause even if, you know, there's, there's times where like I'm a coach and like my head coach, it's like my son won't start. And I'm like, ah, oh, like I want, it's like, I want to No, it's good for him to learn to, to not, you know, start. It's good for him to get pulled out of a game. It's good for him to, you know, really have that experience and, and him and I'm like, yeah, you, you're going to have to deal with that. Yep. Like, you, you know, yep. you, you have to figure out what it's like for you to, not necessarily do your job and and have it go wrong and I'm not yep. going to come and save the day for you. I want him cuz I'm I'm thinking now instead of trying to gratify the moment of me wanting my kid to start a game, I'm thinking how strong will he be if he can figure out how to navigate this disappointment? Yep, for in sure. In the future cuz that's, that's how you grow. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a weird thing to let your kid you know, go through some pain, even when you have your hand on the lever, like I could go to my coach, and be like, I want him to start. He's starting. I'm a coach, <laughs> but I don't. Cause right. I'm like, no, I want him to feel this and, and figure this out. And anyway, so and, and come out better, from come out better on, on the other side for other stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, I can't bail him out when he's, you know, in college by himself. I can't bail him. So why, you know, why would I do that now? I got to let him, let him figure it out a little bit. So Anyway, man, thanks a lot. You got it, man. Appreciate and, uh, you having me. We'll do it again. So this is the rest, and we'll talk to you guys later. Woo!